Welcome to those that have found our podcast, a 30,000 foot view, just one of a stream of new podcasts coming out of the team at the Go Agency. Here we will be discussing both marketing and business in a world that seems to slowly be getting used to where it currently finds itself. I'm Sam Fowler, a senior account manager here at the Go Agency, and joining me as always is Mr. Aaron Shepard, one of the three founders at the Go Agency. Aaron, tell me, were you running down to the beach this weekend, or were you were you playing it safe with the kids? <laughs> no, funnily enough, I wasn't. Sandcastles in no in, in the garden as opposed to on the beach yeah a hundred percent and i think that's a sensible thing to do as well um so amongst all of everything that has slowly started to be relaxed as well um you know we are slowly seeing a normality uh, return to business as well um with the fourth of july obviously we start to see a reopening of certain sectors as well um and one of the guests joining us today uh is a leader of digital marketing space uh, she is the founder of hallam a strategic digital agency helping brands thrive in an ever-growing digital world and uh, my god do they need it now um, and also chair of the creative quarter company um, in nottingham uh, welcome susan hallam mbe hi there susan oh it's great to be here susan hallam mbe love to hear that thanks very much <laughs> i bet you're I our bet. first guest who who has that privilege so we thought we'd, we'd definitely definitely mention it but you you that actually means that you can walk sheep over over London Bridge, doesn't it? Oh, sorry. No, 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 no. So I, I can do that too. I can drive my sheep. Is that a sheep. separate thing? Yeah, yeah. I'm a freeman of the city of London. And for that, I can drive my sheep over London Bridge. But the MBE, that's where I got to go to Buckingham Palace. And I have a, a medal and uh, for entrepreneurship and innovation. Yep. Fantastic stuff. And I'm, so, I'm sure you're making the most out of driving your sheep over any bridge you like in in London as well. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I could drive them over Trent Bridge, but anyway, we'll sort that one out in due course. Yeah, of course. Now, as, as we sort of alluded to, obviously, you were the founder of uh, Hallam, um, uh, one of the leading lights in digital marketing. And obviously, you, you've obviously been sort of discussing digital marketing for over 20 years and been one of the leading voices in it. How strange is it now to slowly see brands, I guess, now really emphasizing the digital focus of where their marketing spend is going do you do you you sort of now feel like you're being fully heard of what you were you were telling people around 20 years ago no i think that's kind of being a bit unkind um (laughs) i think um clients they do there has been a huge focus on digital marketing and we work with lots of really savvy marketeers Mm. i think what we're seeing right now is actually a shift and a change but um, I think folk have been, you know, they've been aware of budgets. They've been aware of what they're doing. They've been aware of objectives. I think there's just a change taking place. And I think the big issue is folk are just not comfortable with change. So I think that's the the issue that we need to be addressing. Yeah, I, I, I certainly agree. They're not comfortable. And, and this situation, I think, is sort of because people are so uncomfortable with the situation that they're in, that that change then becomes less of a problem for them. Don't you think so, Aaron? And I think the other issue of is, do you know what I think the real issue is? I think it's the uncertainty. Yeah. I think you look at all, all, all of us as perfect. I think we're all just feeling so uncertain. And before we've always been able to put together marketing plans based on evidence mm. and demographics and plans. And seriously, all that's like th- rip that up and throw it away. Um, we're all starting from scratch, don't you think? A hundred percent. And the plans, I mean, to be honest, I, I have... I've always thought that marketeers actually plan too far ahead. And, you know, the, the, the number of sort of Christmas conversations I've been in, and it isn't the next Christmas, you know what I mean? You're talking about something in September, August, and it's actually for 18 months time. 
And I always thought it's a little bit too far to plan. We're now in the opposite scenario where you almost can't plan, you know, a month ahead of time. Um, how how have you found that? The fact that it's it's almost become a, what should we do today rather than what should we do over the next two years? Yeah, I, I think I agree with you that sometimes people put together these really, you know, cast in, in concrete plans. Whereas if we're looking at, you know, and I hate, it's such a cliche, I hate to say it, but what we are talking about is agile marketing. And I think we need to be doing things like making small bets, testing it, see how it goes. If it doesn't work, try something else. Um, I think we need to be uh, experimenting with new techniques that we haven't used before or new messaging, which means you can't be planning, like you said, six months out or even a year out. But maybe that was a bit daft anyway. Um, the, in terms of digital marketing, I think we need to be able to to watch what's going on and respond to it. And if we think of the different forms of marketing, whether it be paid or social, um, they all have to be responsive in real time to these kind of things that are go, you know that are changing. I think it's a really good point. And I think the time is actually is set by the older legacy channels. So because in some instances you need to book your TV or your out of home months and months in advance, then the rest of the plan almost gets filled in at the same time. But, you know, while it might be okay to tra- you know, to plan certain traditional elements a year ahead of time, the digital element can never be planned that far because things change you know the platforms change the algorithms change consumers change and they they change in in days not in not in months and years yeah i would agree and and i think also that changes even if we look at print with print on demand and customized print actually for that matter the integration of paid channels to also include tv now um even those legacy channels, we might call them, I think they're speeding up too. Wouldn't you agree that, that we, we can be do- more dynamic even in those spaces? So we're looking holistically at, at plans. I guess, you know where the real planning tends to happen though? It tends to be budgeting, don't you think? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. It, it all falls from there. Um, speaking of budgeting, there's something going on obviously right now is is the pull from of spend from Facebook, which is is going to completely change people's budget planning for like for now, not for in six months time, but there are going to be, you know, what well, every single one of those brands that has decided to pull from Facebook will have had budget set aside for it. And I guess we'll now have an opportunity to, to do what you said a few minutes ago and test those new channels yeah, um, to you, see what does work. Don't you think, I think there's some really seriously interesting lessons to be learning right at the moment. And as you say, um, it could be, oh, there are loads of different ways of looking at it. For some brands, maybe you want to be aligning yourself with, with this campaign to kind of clean up the Facebook advertising. Uh, maybe if you're another kind of brand, you may find that the cost of advertising on Facebook is gonna drop. Maybe if you're another kind of, yeah, if you're an agency, is this an opportunity to make hay? And to, you know, so there are different opportunities and we always need to be coming and looking at these with an open mind to think, uh, A, how does this align with our values? So do we want to be doing the right thing? And then B, what's new and innovative that we could be doing in response to this situation? Um, I think it's great news personally. And I, don't, I think there are going to be a lot more people, uh, companies getting on the bandwagon. 
I think this is just the thin end of the wedge. Yep. I mean, yeah, yeah. We're three days in, aren't we? And there's already, I think, yeah. a couple of hundred, and it's, it's some of the biggest advertisers in the world. So I, I, I agree. I think it's going to be a, um, a real step change. Yeah. Personally, I just think it's nice to see brands actually listening to their audiences. Their audiences are not, and the twenty first, you know, where we find ourselves, we are we are a savvy audience. We are savvy. You know, we are savvy buyers, you know, and people are, are becoming a lot more aware of the things that go behind what is sold to them and how it's sold to them. And I think it's a, a credit to say that these brands are actually listening to their to their purchases. I guess. Yeah. And I think the other thing. Yeah, yes, I totally agree in terms of this whole social listening, responding to what our customers want. Mm. Um, I think it's it's commendable and it's admirable. Um, I do. But I do think as well that this could be a bit of a seismic change. Um, I think our audiences are becoming more aware of of what advertisers are up to. I think um, and let's throw into the mix. Let's let's have the ethical nature of it, and let's throw into the mix the personalization mix of it as well. And I think our consumers, because they are more literate to what's going on, um, here's a whole new set of risks that we need to be thinking about as as individuals, and then how will agencies and advertisers respond? Yeah, it's a really interesting point. I think. The brand purpose point is a really interesting one. And, and for the last, I would say, probably 10 years, big creative agencies be, uh, have been really pushing that brand purpose side for these big brands, but not in a sort of authentic way, in a basically a pick a topic and then let's spend some money showing that we stand behind it. I think what's happening now is that people are looking with, microscopes at those businesses where they're actually saying okay i know you say you stand for this but if you don't we are going to call you out so so badly and so the the brand purpose i think now has gone from being a sort of vanity exercise to a to a revenue-based exercise if you can't show people that you actually mean what you say you won't have any audience you know and and, and i think it's a really interesting time we're going to see a lot of big brands have to really put their money where their mouth is for what they're saying right now. I, I would agree. But one thing I think is really awful are brands that are clearly jumping on the bandwagon right now. Uh, it's incredibly inauthentic. It's disingenuous. And I think people hate it. Um, whereas you look at brands, I don't know, I'm thinking of one off the top of my head, Ben and Jerry's, who have a long standing commitment to um, to diversity and inclusion. So for them then to be to be doing this now, it seems right and it seems proper. But I don't know about you, but I've seen some other companies doing some stuff, and I'm looking at them like you are are just capitalizing on this moment. Yes, I completely uh, agree. You know, the likes of, I mean, I guess the likes of Starbucks and people like that who are now who are who are jumping. They've pulled all their Facebook stuff. You know, what I would say to them is pay your tax. You know, if you really want to be ethical. Yep pay your tax and and you know i think we've accepted this sort of that things are unfair with certain things like that right i don't think there's anybody anybody that thinks it's okay that starbucks pays the tax rate that they pay whether they've got a deal or not whether it's legal or not it doesn't matter it's not it's not okay but we still go to starbucks i still go to starbucks every day even though i think that and at some point Maybe it'll get to the point where I go, no, I won't. Unless you pay your tax, I will not buy from you. And that, I think, is, is what people have been sort of hoping will happen for the last 
five or six years and now they're actually seeing it happen you know i think for the first time people are actually changing their buying habits um based on on whether brands will stand for something or not it'd be interesting to see if that's true or if it like it has been for the last 10 years whether it is just a vanity exercise and actually the consumers don't change their habits what do you think do you think they will or not well i think what's well actually what i think is more important is is that um using starbucks as an example if they didn't think there were any consequences to not paying taxes then they could they could they could follow you know that what they're doing is perfectly legal let's make that set that straight so what they're doing is they they're complying with the letter of the law but they don't think that there's any social consequence what i think is going to be more interesting Aaron, is will they be, will there be will they have the perception there could be consequences so whether they whether the consequence happens or not what they need to do is have the fear that there might be and that might be one catalyst for change um, without it necessarily having to turn to a cataclysmic um, people voting with their feet. Let's let's wait and see what happens. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. How so you you're in a very interesting um, point in that you you built your, you know, the Hallamut, your absolute baby over the last 20 years. And actually, recently, you've you've stepped away and there's, you know, uh, a new management team. Two new guys. I'm sure we'll talk about who are who are running that. How I can imagine the last three months, particularly the last three months, where it's so uncertain and there's so much going on. How difficult has it been to sort of stay a step away and not sort of be pulled back in? How have you actually managed that process of allowing someone else to look after your kid for the first time? Yeah, um, I'm in a really lucky position, Aaron, in that um, I have been working with Jake and Julio now for, well, Jake's been with the company for more than five years. Julio's been with the company for three years. So me stepping back, I'm putting this into a safe pair of hands, which in whom I have great confidence. Um, I The other thing is you talk about um, the, the, the pandemic and how it's felt to leave them in charge. And, and I have to say, they have just stepped up to the plate and they've done an, an exceptionally good job. But I think you know as well that these kind of things in terms of, so, so creating an agency, one of the big things for agency owners to think about is, is will your agency live longer than you do? So will your ge- agency move to another generation? So for me, I think this is a stonking achievement that I'm going to be able to step away and the agency is going to continue to grow and, you know, grow and thrive and be exceptional. Um, did you know that we did win Google's top award, by the way? We I are- did. I did. But please, 2019, number one Google agency in the world. Well, it? East Midlands. In, uh, Three, well, Europe, Middle East. I said East Midlands, Europe, Middle East and Africa. Yeah. But, but further to your point. Yeah, I do love my company. I do. And actually, I love what we do. I love the guys I work with. So there is a, a wrench attached to it. But now is the time for me. You know, I've been doing this for 20 years. Um, I'm going to continue to do digital marketing. I just don't feel that I'm the right person to be running an agency of our size. So you reckon we've got 60 people. I've been doing this for 20 years. I think I'm ready to go to France. I think I deserve that. Yeah, I'm ready for a little trip, I think, and uh, take some time off. So you, you, that sort of pull back in, you, you're feeling the stronger urge to go to France than be sort of dragged, dragged back into it at least. You know, it's an interesting question. I'm often asked is how much am I going to miss my work? But 
my work isn't really exact, is, it's not the only thing that I am. I do a lot of other stuff as well. And I get a lot of pleasure from a lot of other things too. So I think maybe I'm a little bit different to other agency owners that I do have outside interests to, in addition to the company that I love. So as you mentioned, I'm the chair of Nottingham's creative quarter. Um, I serve on, as a trustee on Nottingham, the, the castle that's being rebuilt in Nottingham. I serve on trustees on a lot of numbered boards. Um, I work with disadvantaged communities. So I've got lots of other stuff I want to do. Okay. So, so it feels, it feels almost like you've sort of, you know, you, you've served that time if you, and, and actually you're onto your passion points really now. Yeah. And, and I do love what we do. So, and again, I do love what we do. So I'm looking forward I think many agency owners get involved, so engrossed, and perhaps I did as well, in the running and management and leadership of the business, that sometimes you have to sacrifice your own hands-on work that you do. And I do love digital marketing. So I think one luxury I'm going to be able to have is to continue to work on my own projects, but on on my own terms. And I think a lot of other agency owners might might agree with me that that sounds pretty cool. So something something I've always felt as an agency owner is... You know, as much as I work for myself, I, I kind of don't, right? I, I actually work for the clients that are paying us. And when they say, hey, Aaron, I need you at this time, like I have to be there at that time. When they say, you know, I need more of this, we have to give them more of that. If they have a problem, it's my problem. And this isn't because we have difficult clients, to be clear. It's just that you're always worrying about it. So you're, you're almost predicting problems before they happen. And so it's you're constantly trying to deal with that. Has there been a sort of, that relief as that's gone on to to somebody else was there a point maybe it wasn't in the last few months maybe it was before that actually as 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 the guys got got more into um decision making roles where you were just sort of felt that relief that it you weren't tied to it in the same way. Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think that's a really good question. I think as agencies grow... So over the years, I've had a lot of coaching and support. And I think that's been a really important part of our growth trajectory is to get guidance and advice. So one of the lessons I learned that I would want to share with everybody listening is um, is, is, the, is the number seven. And I think as, you, as your agency grows from seven people to 17 people, all of a sudden the processes and procedures are going to get more complicated and change. You grow to 27 people, now it's going to get harder to understand what everybody's doing. It grows to 37 and 47. At each of these tide marks, there are new things that challenge us as agency owners. So um, I think over the years, I've grown, you know, I've learned and I've grown as the agency has grown. But I don't know about you, Aaron, did you expect to own your own business when you grew up? This wasn't, you know, that wasn't, when you asked me as a little kid, I thought I wanted to be president of the United States, to be honest. It never occurred to me I was going to run my own company. Um, Yeah. And I think. Go on. hmm. No, sorry, carry on. No, no. And I think I, I would think probably if you ask many agency owners, we didn't dream of this when we were little kids. You kind of grow into it because we love what we're doing. Or maybe we don't want to work for a big blue chip company. Um, I used to work for Capital One and I worked for BT. And I have to say my best years have been, you know, running my own agency. Beats it hands down. Yeah. I mean, I certainly didn't think I was going to be an agency owner. That's for sure. I I, I, th- I, I did always know I was going to work for myself. I, my, my dad is an entrepreneur and has always worked for himself and has had sort of ups and downs and that that really has been my role model so I was I I think I was more likely to go down this path maybe than another path but 
I did not think I was, you know, my previous, I've had an events business. I've been in, in property. I had a sports social network. Um, and I, I learned everything about advertising and marketing, doing that sports social network, which I co-founded. And that's what led to the agency. Um, but no, if you'd have asked me even 10 years ago, oh, you'll be working in advertising. I would have said, no, no, I doubt it. Um, and, I, and I think it's a good thing to share with people listening to the podcast is uh, anybody can be an entrepreneur. You know, you might not, you know, you were lucky that you came back you came from this kind of background of entrepreneurialism. My mom and dad, my uncle Bill, Aunt Betty, Uncle Jack, my whole family, we're all teachers. Um, can you imagine their shock when I said, and, and I, I taught at the university for eight years. I was a senior lecturer in computing. Can you imagine my family's shock when I gave up a teaching job to start my own company? Oh my God, they thought I was crazy. So I just think it's nice to think that being an, that entrepreneurial spirit can come from anywhere. You know, you don't have to come from a, a family of entrepreneurs. You're you're lucky that you did. You know, that's a great a great head start, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and to to be clear, my two business partners, you know, didn't. I, I agree with you. I'm. It's. I think I would have. I think it's actually something that's innate in people. You know, when it comes to a willingness to to sort of take take risk, really. And I I don't think it's necessary. I think that whether it's what your mentality to risk is and whether the, you're born with that, whether it gets developed at a young age. So I think some people might have a life experience that then changes their attitude to risk. I think if you, if you face death, you probably, you know, think that a business risk is slightly less of an issue than you did before, you know? So I think there are lots of things that can put people into that mentality. But for me, all entrepreneurs see an opportunity and then take a risk that they can solve that to, to make a business out of it. And, you know, I, I've seen people that have come from every different background imaginable. Um, I don't think there's any sort of one fit except you have to be uncomfortable being uncomfortable and, you know, uncomfortable taking a bit of risk. Yeah. And, um, you know, I look at my own personal background and I was in, the, I, I, in terms of that risk, as you said, I think, I was in the fortunate position that, that I had a partner with an income who could support us. And I had two, I had two small children at the time. So uh, I wouldn't say I'm actually naturally a risk taker, but I, but I also am very confident. I know I'm good at what I do. And I think I was confident that um, clients needed what we have to offer. I, I, to me, and maybe it's because I am a naturally a risk taker, but to me, starting the company did not feel very risky because I, I had a good, you know what is risky? Not having a business plan. That's risky. You know, the number of people you talk to starting a business who don't have a business plan, don't you just want to smack them? Oh my goodness. So I think if you do have a good plan um, and you do have that confidence and you do have perhaps that work ethic and tenacity and resilience, I think resilience is one of the top things for a great entrepreneur. Um, that, that's what's going to lead to, to success. I completely agree. I completely agree. I've never seen anybody do it easy. You know, there is no easy way for anybody. You know, the, the fastest growing businesses in the world, you've got people, you know, working their their absolute butts off to do everything they can to make it work. You know, there's, there's no scenario where it's easy. And so you absolutely need that resilience because you're definitely going to have moments that are hard. Yeah, and it, it's, it's, you know that there's always going to be bumps in the road, the question is, how do you handle the bumps? That's that's all there is to it. Um, 
I guess the other thing I, I seem to get people people asking me is um they, they kind of want a job that they make money while they sleep. You know, the, the money, you know, that, that dreaded concept of passive income. And I'm looking at, I'm like, I don't think I know any really successful business people who are making their money off a of passive income. Uh, you know, it is hard work. There is commitment. You do have to stick with it in order to make a success. And, and actually, if you don't have that kind of backbone, then probably setting up your own agency isn't going to be for you. I couldn't agree more. And I actually think that that sort of culture around passive income has is actually a really dangerous one because it, it gives people a false sense of, oh, this is going to be easy. You know, my in my mind, if you put me in a room with anybody else and it's like an advertising problem, I will work harder on it than they will. If it means I have to stay in that room for six days rather than three, you know, whatever it means, I'm willing just to outlast them. And I think that is so crucial for success. And so the scenario where oh, it's all right, it, you can do this easily. I think it's really dangerous for people. Yeah. And, and, and I guess the other theme that, you know, as we as we're working in the, under these pandemic conditions, you know, I'm sure your colleagues like mine, we're all working from home and our guys have really stood up to this well. I have to say, you know, you talk about having a great team. They have just done a fantastic job. And and as their leaders, we need to be aware of how well are, are they coping, you know, under these conditions. And I think the one way to look at this is to think about is there is this, what I would also call a myth of a work-life balance. You know, balance, you know, you're going to have equal work and equal life. And I don't think so. My personal view is it's sprints. And, and like you were saying, Aaron, sometimes you'll work on a project and you'll work flat out. You'll be th- dreaming about it, thinking about it, working on it. And then it stops. And then you know what? You go and you play with your kids for a couple days and you go travel a bit and you don't act. So it's not like you're balancing it. You're sprinting. So you're going to have a personal sprint. You have a work sprint. And again, I think to be an entrepreneur, you have to also be comfortable with that. But to be really successful, you have to give yourself permission to also have the personal sprints as well as the work sprints. You can't work flat out for 20 years or, or you would die. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. It's you know, we've been very aware of it, as I'm sure you guys have. And, you know, that we've done sort of HR consultations in people, you know, where we've gone and checked their work environment and all this sort of stuff. But I burnout's a real, you know, something that we're very aware of right now um, because we can't see people. So you don't you don't know that they're necessarily burning out, whereas you would see it physically in an office, you know, six months ago. So completely agree that's the reality of the work-life balance is you do everything you can on the things that you're dealing with at the time like all the time you know what I mean I I, on the weekends I try and give 100% to my kids on you know and when I get two hours where it's just me like then I enjoy it you know what I mean I don't I try not to sit there and worry I try to actually go and give my you know go 100% into that thing be as present as possible um yeah, we were, we've also introduced, um, this was again my colleague Jake's um, idea, is we have introduced in the company mental, um, mental health first aiders. Uh, and I think that's where it is good to be able to talk openly within an agency that it's okay not to feel okay. Um, yeah, and, and 
that seems to be working pretty well for us as well. But like, I think the longer the lockdown is going on, the more my colleagues are starting to definitely show the strain and stress of it. And I can, I can feel, I can understand it entirely. Um, the question, I guess, is how do we as business leaders cope with it? Yeah. I mean, how do you, how do you actually see that office scenario working? Do you, are you going to be more flexible going forward? Are you, do you see having less office space or, you know, what, what is, what is your interpretation of how offices are going to change if they're going to change over the next couple of years? Post-COVID, uh, It's really. certainly, po- post-COVID, yeah. It's certainly going to change, don't you think? So um, we have always had a, a flexible work policy, but we've now changed it that people can work from home on demand. Um, that That is new for us culturally. And actually, I think, again, it's kind of funny thing to say, it's worked pretty well. Our guys have really built new ways of communicating with clients. They've built new ways of communicating amongst ourselves. So I think agency owners are are aware that clients um, are willing, for example, whereas we would previously, I don't know, fly to Edinburgh or take the train into London to meet with clients. Um, I think we're going to be using a lot more video conference. You know, we're going to be using a lot more Zoom, you know, and all that. Um, we have quite beautiful offices in Nottingham City Centre. And we are getting a lot of feedback from colleagues that they would like to come back to the office. So I don't see us becoming a virtual business. We are still going to have offices. Our guys like to get together. You know, people do business with other people, and that's either colleagues or clients. And I know clients like to come into our offices as well. So I'm looking forward to reopening the offices, but whether we'll reconfigure them more into meeting spaces uh, whether we're going to be making capital investment to buy even better computer equipment for the guys at home so they can be really working efficiently at home. Um, and I do think a lot of our team are going to want to be remote working. I think I don't really see it as too much of a problem for the agency, but it, it is this is this is the new normal and the, the change. This change was going to happen anyway. It's the the pandemic has simply accelerated it. I think that's the real message. All this has done is accelerate changes that were going to happen anyway. Yeah. One of one of my questions is going to be what your exact view was of actually working from home before the pandemic. But you've sort of just, you know, summed that up beautifully. Like, I, you know, we've always been a, an office-based uh, company, as Aaron um, always says, whenever we do these podcasts, we've always been that way. Um but I mean, has this is this been something that you've seen coming for you know years to come or, or years ago that you saw that this was the way it was going to go, especially with agencies? Yeah. So um, do you know, I think when I used to way back in the nineteen nineties, I used to work for Capital One, and they made huge investment in video conferencing, and that's just a technology that did not take off. It was kind of like a sol- a solution looking for a problem. Well, you know what? The problem is here and it's it's COVID, isn't it? So I think in some respects, this has finally found a reason to be using Zoom and to be using Google Hangouts and to be using, oh my gosh, don't you guys hate Microsoft Teams? Is it just me? But Yeah, anyway. no, I'm not. It's, it's the worst one. Well, actually, no, that's not true. <laughs> Skype is the worst one. Ah, we all hate Skype. Yeah. So, but, but I think um, you're, but you're, point, Sam, is I think we all knew that this ability to work from home um, 
has been on the horizon. Um, I'm speaking to you out in my garden and I've built a little home office. I call it the love shack. <laughs> so I think I'm in the fortunate position to have a lovely working at home environment. But I'm also aware there mm. will be young professionals who are either forced to be going back and working at home, uh, working with their parents or they're living with their parents or they're living in a shared house. And to them, the ability to come to the office is a real pleasure. So I I, I still think that the, the office will continue to thrive. Um, we we have three floors in an office block. We're going to keep all three floors, um, but we're probably just going to restructure how we use the space. I mean, you've literally described my current setup of a young professional with their parents, but there we go. That, and that, that's what I mean. It's the office vibe. You know, as much as I enjoy, you know, working from home and it has got its benefits, um, it, is the, it is the office um you know, sort of scenario of going in and seeing new faces every day that is the... Hey, Sam, the you better say miss. thank you to your parent. You better say thank you to somebody right now. <laughs> I'm with you. Thank you. Th- thank you for putting up with me for so long. I really do appreciate it, <laughs> Mum and Dad. Thank you very much. I mean, that's where all the pressure I'm getting to go back to the office is is from from goats, right? Not from clients. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I don't know when, you know, someone like Tesco is going to want to meet again. You know, that... that I think we'll just go stay virtual for probably at least another, you know, nine or 10 months maybe. Um, But I think if we don't allow, you know, our 20 somethings to go and meet up with each other for a year, then they'll, they will be very unhappy about it. So. Yeah. Do you know, Aaron, every year we have a really big company barbecue and it's a blowout. I mean, we have a stonking barbecue and it's supposed to take place on Friday, but at the moment we can only get six people together at the moment. So, I think we just want to be able to all get together again. I think we're. I think as colleagues, we're just missing each other. That I think if if you were to ask me what some of the toughest part of of the lockdown has been, has been just colleagues missing each other. So just another question around. We get asked this a lot around how did we scale? How do we scale so quickly? You've obviously done a very similar thing. What has been the the biggest bit of advice that you would give? Um, people as to how to do that, whether it's delegation, whatever it may be. Yeah, and I think one lesson I learned right off the bat is is that um, I'm not the first person to have found an agency. So as I mentioned before, getting external advice for me has been really important. Um, I've had support from Nottingham Trent University. I've had support from the University of Nottingham providing help and guidance. But fundamentally, Aaron, I, there were just two secrets to my success. Um, the number one secret to my sex success in terms of growing the agency, quite simply, has been to hire people smarter than I am. So I look at Jake, I look at Ben, I look at Charlotte, I look at my, my colleagues, and they are all exceptionally smart and gifted people that, um, that you can't, I could not have fear about hiring people smarter than me that in some way it would put me at risk or in danger. I have to surround my, you know, myself with people who are the absolute best. And that I think then is the second thing that was probably the harder lesson for me to learn is that by being smart, that doesn't necessarily mean that they have technical skills or they've got great degrees or they've got all, you know, what they do is they have a really good attitude. And that means that they're happy to be learning something new every day. When things go wrong, pick yourself up and sort yourself out and move on. Learning new stuff, discovering new stuff. So I think the second lesson I really learned was about hiring for cultural fit and hiring for attitude. 
Um, uh, and that was not an easy lesson for me, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that, you know, I know I love to learn something new every day. And it took me longer than I care to admit that I have to hire people who also want to learn to new, some, learn something new every day as well. Yeah, I, I, I could not agree more. I've, I've got to say, I think the self-awareness to, to one, identify areas that you're not brilliant at and therefore to go and find experts to cover it and also to not to drop your own ego and not, you know, I, I see unsuccessful founders where, you know, they're going to raise money or they've got a small business and they have got essentially yes people around them. They've got people that just won't challenge them because they'd rather be the man or, or, or the woman, but be the person who is sort of dominating and is right than necessarily get the best outcome. And I think the self-awareness to, to recognize, oh, hang on, that person is better than me at this. You know, I'll listen to them rather than sort of, you know, trying to be a, a dictator. I think it's the only way to grow because if you don't get other people to buy into that vision as their own, then, you know, I, I just don't think it works. That's it. And I think my, particularly my colleagues, Jake and Julio, they're really good at that. So in terms of keeping the company culture uh, developing and changing and evolving, um, they recognize the fact that is key to the success of the agency. And I think, like you said, clients buy into it as well. So um, our big trophy client that we work with is the United Nations, and we do the social media marketing for the UN. Um, and that's very much that they bought into our culture. Well, in, the, in that case, it was very much about us being an ethical agency. But um, it, that kind of kind of um, approach for the best, always be learning kind of thing has to cut through like, like a stick of rock, doesn't it? Through your entire business. And if it's not authentic, clients can smell it, can't they? Yeah. yeah. 100%. So what, what do you think, what would you say is going to be the biggest change that, that comes out of this from a marketing point of view? Is it, is it just lots and lots of test and optimizations of new channels? Like, what do you think will, be, will have changed in two years' time from, from where we are now? Well, oh my golly, if I knew that, I'd be a rich woman, wouldn't I? Yeah, um, yeah two, you, you just asked me two years. Did you hear what you just I said? Know, yeah. Um, lots. I, I think what's interesting is there are so many factors at play right now. So we have the, we have the ripple effect from lockdown in terms of people being happy to work from home and uh, clients wanting to work differently. We have changes happening in society in terms of what they're expecting from their um, from the, the brands with whom they work in terms of their messaging and in terms of their social positioning. Uh, and, and, and this is this isn't new just from from coronavirus. This was also there's there's been the whole green agenda. There's been the whole ethical agenda, the inclusive and diversity agenda. So we have a whole bunch of these agendas going on. Um, there's two more axes we need to look at. There is the political axis in terms of what's happened. You know, we went through the period of Brexit. We've gone through, we have the, the election happening in the United States, which could have, is currently having big, big repercussions. And it's having repercussions on brands, I think, as well. And then finally, the big one that we need to think about are these kind of technology changes that are also happening in terms of MarTech and personalization and machine learning and artificial intelligence. And this is going to be impacting 
oh, from my point of view, the kinds of people that we employ, the skills that we need. It's going to be uh, impacting client expectations in terms of what we can deliver. Um, it, in terms of business intelligence, the intersection of, of, of creative and analytical precision work. I, I think they're really not separate disciplines anymore. That's changing because of these technology changing. So um, I think your point, Aaron, about the fact that you have to be able to cope with change is even more important now than it was for me 20 years ago. The pace of change I, I think I would find it hard to believe, but the pace of change is even faster than it has ever been in my entire career. Yeah, it's a really good way. That's a really good point. I agree. I agree. And I think the you're absolutely right. The winners in whatever field you're in are going to be those that adapt to this change the best. And, you know, if you can guess correctly, you'll be in a great place. And if you can't, if, if you can at least react quickly you'll be in a good place. And if you do nothing, it's not going to look good over the next two or three years well, for any well, brand. Doing nothing is not a choice, is it? No. So doing, doing nothing. Doing nothing, I think, is the most dangerous thing you can do. So I think just just to wait, now you're, now you're really in danger. Uh, so I think, and that's probably our roles as, as agency owners, is to be advising clients. Uh, which are small, what, what's, what, what, Big gambles, do you want to try in a small way just to test it to see what's going to pay off? Um, but just doing nothing? Nope, not an option in my opinion. Great. Love that answer. Susan, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. It's been great. I've really enjoyed it. And thanks again for inviting me. Of course, it's not a problem. And if you want to find out more uh, about Susan, obviously you can find her um, on LinkedIn and search for Hallam uh, Agency as well in your search bar. Uh, find out more about the agency. For myself and Aaron, you can find me uh, me and Aaron at The Goat Agency on LinkedIn or on YouTube where we vlog the agencies uh, every day. Every day. Every day we are vlogging. Uh, thanks for joining us on the 30,000 Foot View. Do subscribe to our podcast coming out of The Goat Agency and we'll catch you next time.